It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, that was no good. On today's episode of Locked on Raptors, Vivek Jacob from Raptors.com joins me to break down the loss to the Sixers 131-111 for your Toronto Raptors in game one of their Eastern Conference first round series. We'll dig into all that went wrong, how the Raptors lost the plot defensively, how they lost the offensive rebounding edge in the possession battle. We'll also talk about Scotty Barnes, who was fantastic until he got hurt. We'll talk about the fallout from that injury as well as the one to Thad Young's thumb. Plus, at the to close the show out, we will dig into some positives, reasons for optimism, and adjustments ahead of Game 2. That's all coming up on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks for being here. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1160 of Locked on Raptors for uh, it's Sunday, April the 17th, whenever we're recording this. You might be listening to this on Monday, April the 18th. Either way, this is serving as your Monday episode ahead of game two on Monday night. Uh, I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked on Raptors. And of course, you can follow, subscribe to, rate, review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and all the different podcast apps. You can also go to YouTube and join our nearly 2,000-person strong community of subscribed patrons to the YouTube channel for the low, low price of On the House. So please go ahead and do that. It's much appreciated when you take the time to support the show. And as always, a big thank you for making us your first listen of the day. A first listen that is brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online, who have you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. All right, your Toronto Raptors are in a 1 0 hole in the first round of their playoff series against the Philadelphia 76ers. And on the show today, to dig into all that went wrong, from the on-court stuff to injury stuff to, uh, you know, everything in between. Plus, we will dig into some optimism reasons for potentially, uh, you know, uh, that the Raptors turning things this thing around, uh, going ahead in, in Game 2 and beyond. It is Vivek Jacob from Raptors.com here breaking things down, hanging out on a Sunday, which is just a great service that he's providing today. How are you, man? Uh, wh- how are you feeling after that, uh, uh, I would say, disastrous Game 1? Yeah, worst-case scenario, right? completely raptors you know get punched in the mouth kind of don't play the non-embed minutes well uh i mean it started out okay they cut the deficit to three and then it just all went to shit um (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah and then just when you're thinking okay throw this one in the trash and move on to game two scotty gets hurt yeah Uh, and so that is the worst of it all so yeah couldn't have gone much worse um but 
you know, rewatching the film this morning, uh, part of why I asked if we could start this a bit later. Um, <laughs> you there is a lot. You. <laughs> there is a lot to fix defensively. Offensively, yeah. the Raptors uh, were pretty successful. I thought. Yeah. Um, other than maybe you know getting on the offensive glass a bit more, maybe creating more transition opportunities by uh, creating some turnovers. Um, but again, that comes down to defense. So. Um, yeah, defensively, I think there's enough to fix uh, to just focus in on game two uh, and, you know, make a game of that and give yourselves a chance. Yeah, I think defense is probably the place we got to start in this game. Offensively, we'll get into it in the final segment. I thought the offense looked actually pretty good and healthy and like they're going to be able to score in the half court against the Sixers team. Uh, you know, Scotty Barnes not being available maybe changes that. We'll get to that in a little bit. But as far as where things went wrong defensively, I, I mean, we knew they were going to be aggressive and sending extra attention Embiid's way. And they did do a pretty good job of limiting Embiid's scoring touch, right? He only had 19 points in this game. He was 5 of 15 from the field. That's what you want. That kind of is in line with what the Raptors have done to Embiid in the past. But you know, this series was always going to come down to, and I talked about this on the Thursday crossover with Keith and Devon from Locked On Sixers, like this was always going to come down to Embiid's growth as a guy who can navigate that extra attention. And he did a fantastic job of it in this game, a couple of beautiful cross-court skip passes, things like that. But also the Raptors didn't really make it all that difficult on him, I didn't think. There were maybe two or three instances where they actually kind of got that full swarm going where they actually made Embiid look uncomfortable. I think actually... The first possession of the third or the third quarter, if I recall, was sort of the first turnover they forced all game. And I think that was kind of a, a good encapsulation of sort of their swarming defense. It might have been Tobias Harris that had that turnover, but still, uh, they were not very good with their extra attention anywhere, particularly on Embiid. Um, you know, where do you think things went wrong when it came to the defense? Like, is there something that is like an easy fix or is it just a matter of, you know, kind of rediscovering that sort of discipline they had down the stretch of the season where they were on a string, they were filling in space when they were rotating and there was always kind of someone stepping in to fill the space. Like last night, yesterday afternoon, whatever the hell time the game took place, there was never really a, a, an instance where you saw that sort of on a string sort of, you know, the feedback loop that we talk about with this Raptors team where everything's kind of working in unison and it just sort of suffocates and smothers offensive possessions. There were way too many instances where a guy goes to help and then all of a sudden there's a dude totally unattended to under the basket who's just getting an easy look. Uh, are, are there any things that you saw in the film uh, as, to, as far as like things they can touch up, things that specifically went wrong defensively? Or was it kind of just like a big giant egg laid where everything went wrong and it's kind of impossible to sift through all, all those different elements. Well, first off with Embiid, I think you have to give him credit. He sort of came out and said, I'm going to play with great intensity, great effort and play bully ball. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to get underneath uh, the Raptors skin and see how they respond. And the Raptors didn't really respond. One of the things um, I wasn't a fan of uh, was starting out with, OG on him and yeah. Scotty on Harden. I would have liked that reversed. Right. Um, and uh, I think the other thing too was, uh, you know, if anything, there were at times where you put OG in that position where now he is trying to act as the helper, where we saw in those previous two games where 
it was Siakam sort of coming over as the help. Now Siakam sure. was still coming over from the corner, um, and he was doing that uh, a little excessively. Um, and so there was a lot of miscommunication. I, I, yeah. I think, I think off the top, you know, Fred Van Vliet set a bad tone by picking up that second foul. The first one was a bad call, but that yeah. second foul where Embiid's got the ball under the basket, just let him dunk it, let, do whatever. Um, yeah, you can't. You don't need to you, Napoleon this one, man. Like, just take the L. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to stay on one foul. That kind of opens the floodgates for Maxi. Um, and then you see. Uh, Ananobi get hung up on a screen uh, when, uh, you know, defending uh, Embiid. And that opens up the driving lane for uh, Maxi to get a floater. Um, you had Siakam overhelping off the corners. Boucher kind of came in and was a nightmare. Precious uh, had his own set of miscues as well. And Gary wasn't making open shots. Yeah. So, uh, again, it was a worst-case scenario where no one really had anything. Um and, you know, credit uh, the defense on Siakam as well uh, right. early on um, where they weren't really get, letting him get into the paint. Uh, you know, that's kind of why we saw him shoot the mid-range. Um, he had a couple of nice passes, a couple of nice reads, and then Scotty was obviously awesome. Yeah. Uh, that was that was a special debut. Uh, shame it came, <laughs> came to an end. Yeah, for sure. You know, back to the defense for a sec. We will get to Scotty and the sort of uh, joy that was watching him almost put up a triple-double in his... He might have gotten there had he been on the floor for the rest of the fourth quarter. He looked that good. Um, we'll get to that shortly. But yeah, w- with the defense, you know, the other thing too is you know, part of the whole design against the Sixers is you're going to help off of guys, right? You're going to have to cheat a little bit off of Tobias Harris or Tyrese Maxey because you have to send that extra attention. And when Matisse Thybulle's not starting and you have Danny Green in there for the Sixers as well, that makes all of that, that sort of calculus a lot more difficult to make. And you're hoping that Tobias Harris replicates what he's done in the past against the Raptors, right? Where he's hesitant to take those corner threes. Maybe he does these little jab steps and kind of walks himself into bad shots or or wasted opportunities or dead possessions. And it just didn't happen. And if Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey are going to play the way they did last night, I'm sorry. The Raptors have no chance of winning this series. The whole thing about this series was, well, Embiid's amazing. Harden can be great. But the supporting cast is a little bit suspect. If the supporting cast is not suspect, this Sixers team can hang with anybody. And I think you have to give a ton of credit to Tobias Harris last night. 26 points, 6 boards, 6 assists for Harris. Like, that is just a far cry from anything he's ever done against the Raptors in the playoffs. It was quite jarring to see him be more basketball player than Puddle for the first time ever in a Raptors-Sixers playoff game or Raptors-Sixers recent matchup in the last four or five years. Um, so that that's a problem. And... Like, I don't know how that changes the way you approach Embiid. I don't really think it can. Like, you have to continue to send extra attention Embiid's way because you don't have one guy who can just kind of size him up and hang one-on-one. Would you change anything about the like the, the calculus of doubling Embiid considering what Harris and Maxi did in game one? We'll get to Maxi as well in adjustments. I, I think there's a very clear adjustment the Raptors can make to try to slow him down. But uh, as far as the Embiid stuff and the, the double teaming and the extra attention and the sort of dependence upon rotation, is it a matter of altering the scheme a little bit or just executing your regular scheme way better the way they have in the past against the Sixers? I mean, honestly, more than the, the doubles on Embiid, it was the uh, level of attention shown to Harden. Uh, yeah. that I think could be improved. Like, sure, th- there were times where 
Harden's just like he's dancing at the three point line, and whether it's Scotty or it was Scotty or OG or um, you know whoever it was, it, they were helping before Harden's even crossed the three point line. Yeah, and like Harden's just making the pass to the corner. Like yeah, that's that's way too much. Like he's got to at least be inside the arc. <laughs> like yeah. you know, there's got to be some threat of a drive before you're over before you're helping off the strong corner sure. um, and so i think stuff like that is, is pretty easy to clean up um it, it was pretty you know uh ridiculous that they were making that mistake in the first place um yeah. and so i think stuff like that will uh, will clean up a lot um with maxi uh you know i think one thing that Embiid does really well is uh sort of occupy his man to open up the driving lane. Sure. And so I think that's where uh, other help has to be ready. Um, or you've just got to be more cognizant uh, of, you know, whoever's on the ball. And that's something where I, I did feel uh, there were multiple possessions where the Raptors didn't pick up the ball early enough. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Embiid's like got his man over on the other side uh, and just creating this straight line drive. And whether it's Maxi, whether it's Harden, it's like, hey, floodgates are open. Yeah, I like the point you made about Harden in particular because uh, I still, I, like, even though the game went the way it did last night, I found myself feeling very not intimidated by the presence of James Harden throughout this game. Like, yeah, he had a stretch there. The Raptors pulled it to 11 in the third quarter. Then he had his own personal 5-0 run. Then he had that insane hit-ahead pass, like, on the bounce to Tyrese Maxey, which, hey, credit to him. That was a gorgeous pass. He's a very good passer, as it turns out, but... He was two for 10 on two pointers last night. Uh, he doesn't have burst. He can't get by really any of the Raptors defenders in single co- single coverage. I think you have to just stick to single coverage on Harden. And if that goads him into trying to score a little bit more often, it's probably a good thing because it's not swinging to Maxi, who you don't really have the perimeter defense to stay in front of. And it's not a possession that's ending in a pocket pass to Joel Embiid or whatever it might be. Like they have to be, I think, pretty disciplined in their single coverage on Harden until he proves that he commands more than just one guy. Um, we'll continue on here and, and dig into Scotty Barnes's game and a few other items that uh, are certainly going to dictate what comes up in this series. Thad Young's injury too. We'll get to that in one sec. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Athletic Greens, who are a wonderful company. And uh, you may be asking, we, you've been talking about this for a little while here. What is Athletic Greens. Well, it is a specially uh, formulated uh, powder, really. It's what it is. It's a powder to make you have all the nutrition that you need in a day. It's really boiled down to one sentence. It's very hard over the course of a day to get all the vitamins and minerals you need. We all have busy schedules. Cooking is a pain. Shopping is a pain. It's hard to get all the stuff that you need for your body to operate at full capacity. But AG1 Athletic Greens, wonderful formula, has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging, literally all the things. 
I have started taking AG1. They sent me a little bit once they came on with the network, and I have had it basically every day for the last few weeks, and it's made me feel a lot better. You know, During the last couple of weeks, I've been dealing with COVID as well, and I've been taking AG1 in the morning to help ensure that I'm feeling all right, even though everything else in my body feels like garbage. I know I'm getting that nutrition. It is really the ultimate daily insurance. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. Those pills and supplements cost a lot of money. They do a lot of number on your stomach as well. Go with AG1 instead. It is just the better choice to make it easy. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NBA network to take ownership over your health, health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance with Athletic Greens. Go pick some up now. Today's show is also brought to you by your friends over at Built Bar. It's that time of year where your New Year's resolutions are now long gone, but you can still always make the steps to be a little bit healthier, to indulge just a little bit less. I have a sweet tooth. I am not afraid to admit it. I eat a lot of sweets, but when I am really kind of in the doldrums and I'm feeling not so good about myself and I want to avoid those sweets, I'm going for a Built Bar instead because it's going to give me the sensation of eating something indulgent and sweet and tasty, but I know that it's actually good for me. It only has 130 calories on average in your standard Built Bar, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has about twice the calories, eight times the sugar, and dozens of net carbs. You don't want that go and get yourself a built bar instead they got flavors for everybody nut and nut free options they're keto friendly they got fruity flavors they got more sweet confection flavors go check out the website they got limited time flavors that pop up all the time go to built.com use the promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off your order that's the promo code locked 15 l-o-c-k-e-d-1-5 for 15 percent off at built.com and we continue on your first listen of the day here, breaking down the Toronto Raptors game one loss to the Philadelphia 76ers, 131-111. Not great stuff. Great stuff, however, from Scotty Barnes in the 32 minutes he played before leaving this game with an injury. We will talk about the injury and what it means going forward, but probably should just take a second here to reflect and think about how awesome it was that Scotty Barnes came out in his first ever playoff game in Philadelphia with that bananas ass crowd and put up 15, 10 and eight on four of six shooting seven of nine from the line. He just looked incredible. Vivek uh, thoughts on Scotty's playoff. debut. really, I think if you're taking a big picture view of game one, even if this series perhaps is going off the rails quick, uh, I think a lot of people can rest easy knowing that Scotty Barnes is a bloody fantastic and was certainly not scared of the moment. Yeah, he is the man. He is the guy. Um, and I thought that was really, really special. I mean, right from when he had that first, uh, he had the post up on Maxi where he went and early put him in the bucket. Yeah, transition. <laughs> and yeah, Embiid couldn't come over to help soon enough and that kind of set the tone for his game and you just see it's like no matter what you try and take away he's got so many ways of impacting the game mm-hmm. uh that he's just gonna find a way every you know every every possession anytime he wants really and mm-hmm. you know he had the no look pass uh, for the cutting boucher and um took the mid-range when it was there really special performance i i think you know i think back to Dwayne Wade, um, who had like a really nice rookie season, (laughs) 
and then the playoffs came and it was like oh like this is <laughs> this is this is his team like now <laughs> and i think much the same way th- this is going to be scotty's team pretty soon um mm-hmm. and the ceiling with him is pretty scary to think about i mean it's it's very exciting for raptors fans yeah uh, and there's a lot to look forward to thankfully the x-rays are negative um in terms of a long-term outlook yeah um i still you know I, i'd be surprised uh if he played uh, you know uh any further part in this series just from the way it looked we'll see mm-hmm. we'll see how it turns out um but yeah it's just really really unfortunate i mean he was just talking about how it's it's been a long wait to just play basketball again this you yeah. know from from game uh, 82 to the playoffs and after the week off he was just raring to go and you saw that and and now he's gonna have to wait again yeah i, I mean it certainly puts a damper on the rest of the series if he's not available we'll get to that in a sec here but yeah the it was just really, really special to see that dude in that environment in particular just kind of come out and seem just completely unworried. And I think you saw kind of a bit of a validation of what the Raptors seem to have been building this season, which, you know, we've seen obviously the season began with Fred Van Vliet being very much the conductor of the offense, but it's slowly been seeded over to Pascal Siakam as the season's progressed and he's become sort of the main figure. But really, what I think the sort of peak version of this version of the team is, is kind of a dueling two-headed snake thing where it's going to be Siakam and Barnes who really are the guys who create on most possessions and are the avenue to whatever good looks you're going to create, whether it's for themselves or for others. And I mean, they both have all the ingredients to assume that role between the playmaking, between their own scoring touch, between uh, the fact that, you know, that, you know, Pascal's obviously a more advanced shooter at this point than Barnes is, but Barnes flashed a mid-ranger last night. He's flashed it all season long. That seems like something that should come along at some point here for him on sort of a higher level, higher volume type of thing. But it, it just, to me, like you saw what this team is going for. And I think, you know, judging by the fact that they scored pretty comfortably against the Sixers, I think it's a viable path to having a, your offense work in the postseason is two six foot nine dudes who can handle the ball like that and pass like that. That feels like a pretty decent recipe. They combined for 15 assists in the game. They really were the guys who created most of the positive possessions, not to mention what Scotty was doing in the open floor, which was just delightful, <laughs> you know, kind of just running out, hitting passes for guys on the trail, stuff like that. He was just wonderful. Just an absolute delight to see. And yeah, really should, I think, be a bit of a balm if you are feeling worried, feeling upset about game one and where the series goes from here. Uh, that they're in good hands, I would say, as we move forward into the future of whatever this Raptors team is going to look like next year and beyond with Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam kind of as the the two heads of the snake. Um, The injury, we'll get to Thad's injury in a sec too, but I mean, I'm operating under the assumption he's definitely not playing on Monday. I don't see how there's any way he turns around one day off and plays Monday night. If he does... Congrats to Alex McKechnie for all the HGH he's stored, I suppose. But, but uh, you know, Thursday is game three, or was it Wednesday? Um, Wednesday. It's Wednesday, right. So, yeah, not you don't even get the two days off there. It, it seems like a long shot that he plays at least in the next two games. We, get, we don't know. We're recording this at 1130 on Sunday morning, so 
we could get some more information at, you know, after this post as to what his status is going to be. But we're going to operate in the assumption he's not playing in game two. If he's not available, does that kind of sewer the Raptors' chances entirely of winning this series, Big V? Like, it, it seems crazy to say that a rookie is the reason why they aren't going to win a series, but he was that good in game one. He seems that important to them playing their matchup hunting game. And obviously, he's huge as a sort of a disruptive force on defense as well. Uh, where are you at with uh, the Raptors' chances of hanging if they don't have Scotty Barnes available for the rest of the series, at least in Game 2? Um, I think it would be a bit of an overreaction to think the Raptors can't win the series from here. Um, okay. I think, I mean, if 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 you think the Raptors can't win the series from here, then you should, probably shouldn't have been picking them to win it at all. <laughs> I mean... Um, I, I think there are some things that they can fix defensively. Again, we saw offensively they can get what they want. Um, I think ideally Precious will slide into the starting lineup. Uh, I, yeah. I won't be surprised if Nick goes to Kem Birch and says, I want to keep Precious <laughs> and Boucher <laughs> off the bench together. Yeah. Um, but I think I think Precious is the move because yep. of his ability to defend both Embiid and, uh, and Harden. Um, so, uh, no, I, I, I think when you look at those two games that the Raptors uh, beat the Sixers with Harden uh, in the lineup, you know, they did that without Fred and OG. And so you've got Fred and OG now. um, And and now you take out Scotty. So uh, I still think the Raptors can win the series. I think it's shifted for me in terms of uh, the range of outcomes. uh, Whereas, before the series began, I was saying Raptors in six. I think it's shifted to anywhere from Raptors in seven to Sixers in five. Right. That depends on, you know, what is Scotty's injury outlook? Can he make it back for game three or four or five or whatever it is? Can he play any further part in this series? Um, and, you know, how, how do they respond in game two? I think that's the biggest thing with the playoffs. Just focus in on game two. There's yeah. defensively a lot to fix, uh, and uh, you give yourself a, a much bigger chance if you can just set the tone in that first quarter and kind of you know control the pace a bit better. Yeah, I think that is totally fair. I do think it gets complicated if Thad Young is also not available because you're just really short on dudes to execute yeah. your scheme. That's and, fair. You know, it, it just... You know, I I had Sixers and seven. I, I kind of believed in Embiid kind of powering this team through the series. And, uh, you know, so far so good, I guess, on that prediction through game one. Even though he didn't have a big scoring game, I think he, you know, the no turnovers for him, just an absolute huge bellwether, I think, for this entire series and how things are going to go. If he's not turning it over, you're going to have some problems for the Raptors. But, you know, I, I do think there are certainly some defensive adjustments to make. I think, again, I feel pretty good about their ability to score in the half court. Maybe it's a little bit more difficult without Scotty, just because he is a guy who can size up Tyrese Maxey and go put him in the bucket whenever he wants. Um, but I think Pascal, you know, if you just kind of funnel more possessions through him, maybe give OG a little bit more responsibility and then just kind of hope that Gary Trent Jr. is going to knock down some threes. Um, I think there's a way to fill in what you're missing offensively with Scotty, but it is a tricky thing to overcome if Thad's not available as well. We should hit on that injury very quickly. It uh, looks like a left thumb something. You know, he is uh, going to get more imaging today, it sounds like, as well. Maybe Alex McKechnie can pull the shoestring uh, <laughs> trick and make it work and have him better for the next game, a la DeMar DeRozan. But 
Uh, without Thad Young, what do you think the Raptors are missing? Uh, you know, I think he's obviously been kind of the last sub to come in, usually not till the second quarter in most of these games. He seems like the least trusted of all of those bench guys, just in terms of their overall role within the scheme. But, uh, you know, I thought the the minutes he played were pretty effective and, I always have liked him as a guy who brings together the better Raptor players and sort of you know ties everything together in a nice little bow. Without him, what are the Raptors looking at overcoming here? Yeah, him not being available is a double whammy just because you know he can kind of be a, a Scotty light, right? Yeah. And provide some of that playmaking, provide some of that switchability, provide um, some of that scoring around the basket, maybe you know spot up. Uh, uh, you know, knock down, uh, catch and shoot three um, from the corner. So I, th- I think that's a tough one. Uh, if he's not available as well, uh, I'd like to think that, like you said, you know, there's a bit of a wrap that can be put around that finger and <laughs> he can find a way to gut through it. Um, and so, yeah, not not having both available would be really difficult, uh, but not impossible. I, I don't think. Uh, I don't think the Raptors will be completely out of it uh, for game two. Yeah, we are going to, I think, examine some reasons for optimism. It's been kind of doom and gloom so far, but we will look at some things that could go the Raptors' way coming up in just one second to close out the show. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Bet Online. It's your number one source for all your sports betting stats and info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, injury updates, uh, and everything you might need to be the informed better for this year's NBA playoffs or for the Major League Baseball season. And it's not just basketball or baseball. There's other sports on there, too. If you want to get some money down on an NHL futures pick for the Stanley Cup, you can do that. The playoffs are coming up very, very soon here, just a couple of weeks away. Maybe you want to get on the WNBA season, for example, and throw some money down on the uh, Phoenix Mercury and Kian Nurse and that super team they've assembled down there winning the WNBA championship. You can go and do that as well. Bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to the playoffs, esports, Vegas casino games, and more. Head to the website today, use your mobile device, and learn more about the trends and the action at betonline.net, where the game starts. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. And we round out your first listen of the day here with Vec Jacob from Raptors.com. Looking for reasons for optimism going into game two for the Raptors against the Sixers uh, and maybe some adjustments that can be made that we haven't covered off just yet. Uh, I guess the thing to say here for me as far as optimism first is this was a game script that very much favored the Sixers. And I don't know if it's all that replicable. If it is... Congrats, Doc Rivers, kudos to you for scheming the hell out of the Sixers over the last week or so, getting them ready for all of the potential sore spots. But 
this was a game, and this is a series between the Raptors, who are the number two offensive rebounding team in the NBA and the most turnover forcing team in the NBA. They force zero first half turnovers against the Sixers. And look, the Sixers are pretty good at protecting the ball, but no one's that good at protecting the ball. And they also lost the offensive rebounding edge to the Sixers, who are the, like I said, the what are they? Oh, they're the worst defensive rebound, offensive rebounding team in the league, at least the lowest offensive rebounding rate. Worst is, I guess, a subjective thing. It's probably by design. But in this game, game one, they had 10 offensive boards to the Raptors' seven. The Raptors could not get that those extra possessions. They lost the possession game and the, the field goal attempt game 84-82, to 82, which is very unlike them as well. I don't know if the Sixers can pull all of that off once again. If they do, huge credit to them. But where do you think the Raptors might be able to sort of gain back a little bit on the margins here? Is there a way they can kind of get back in the good graces of the offensive rebounding gods, for example, uh, after just not having any juice in that department last night? Yeah, so that's probably one area where, you know, without Scotty, it becomes tougher to have that advantage i still think sure. you know they've got enough to force turnovers i think um og ananobi's offensive rebounding uh has maybe been a bit underrated um this season and yep. so i think he can go get it on the glass uh but yeah i think the turnovers is the big thing i think the fact that philly won uh you know the possession battle you look at not only was it, you know, 84, uh, 82, uh, they, they shot, what, 10 more free throws as well. Yeah. Um, so I think you create the turnovers, that in itself should help you uh, gain back that advantage. Uh, Pascal, I think, sort of figured some things out as the game went on. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it was still 24 points on 50% shooting and seven assists so uh, he was pretty effective regardless um mm-hmm. gary trent jr has to be yeah. a lot better yeah. uh I, I i will say that the, the raptors do not have a chance if, if he plays like that again um he he's got to find uh some level of consistency and it's the open shots that you know especially in that first quarter where it's like hey they're putting bodies on siakam he's making the kick out Got to knock down those threes. Um, yeah. And so I think I think if, if you get more from Gary, um, you create more turnovers, and you're just more solid defensively in terms of executing the schemes, I think we'll be in for a much closer contest in game two. Yeah, I tend to agree. As much as I think game one was a disaster, I think, like I said, it's going to be tough for Philly to go and give like that was like one of their best punches. If you follow anyone who is covering the Sixers this season, you know, Adam Aronson, Derek Bodner, etc. They're all like that was like the best game the Sixers have played all season long. Like it was pretty much a flawless performance from them. And you just can't bank on a flawless performance every single night in the playoffs because teams are going to adjust and figure things out to make you uncomfortable. One thing I think the Raptors can do, and I made this point on Twitter yesterday, and I am growing more and more steadfast in this belief. You know, they left Fred kind of on the island against Tyrese Maxey. Gary Trent Jr. a couple times as well didn't go super well. I think there's a very clear defensive alteration the Raptors can make here, and it's to make OG Ananobi essentially a Tyrese Maxey shadow. He has been their guy to snuff out 
like speedy guards all season long. Trey Young comes to mind the most, but he's been their ace in the hole against slippery guards who are maybe a little bit too quick for Fred to contain. And I think there's a pretty clear switch you can make where you can flip-flop the way you've been guarding things a little bit. Stick OG on Maxi. You're able to switch any pick and rolls, and he can switch onto Embiid if they do run Embiid Maxi pick and roll. You can leave whoever you want on Harden, and I feel pretty comfortable about them in single coverage, whether it's Trent, whether it's Fred, whether it's Pascal, uh, which I think is maybe not a, a terrible idea either. Uh, you know, you don't want to risk the foul baiting, I suppose, but I think there's a, a world in which really anyone can hang with Harden in single coverage. And if you kind of have OG there to just sort of snuff out the maxi threat and, you know, take him one-on-one and sort of guard in isolation, if if, if Maxi's working in those lineups, for example, where uh, Embiid or Harden or both are on the bench, like, I, I think that's maybe the move I would make here just because he's been so damn good at limiting those slippery guards this season. Yes, that takes him away from the center, the central part of the action at times, but I also think there will be plenty of switching and enough opportunities for him to impact the game on the interior, whether it's on Embiid, whether it's switched on to Harden, whatever. Um, you know, It's never going to be one guy guarding someone for 48 minutes, but I do think OG on Maxi is the switch I would make and just really kind of have him key in there because if Maxi's going off for 38 points, you got no chance, man. And I think the guy who can most comfortably stay in front of him is probably OG. What say you to that idea? I would say I still prefer OG on Harden. Um, mm. I think. I, I think in terms of, uh, you know, containing Harden, I still think the playmaking aspect is very good. Right. Uh, and you know once he's able to like whenever Harden was on Trent I, th- I thought he kind of had his way um Fair I, I didn't think that went well enough to think that that's an option and so you know in terms of the hierarchy I'm still looking at you know Harden as more of a priority than Maxi I'm mm-hmm. I'm thinking that Fred has just got to play better um right. I think he'll be the first to admit that he wasn't good enough. And I think obviously the fouls early on uh, took away some of that aggressiveness that he's uh, accustomed to. So I'd like to see that again before I give up on it. Um, right. And then, you know, if all hell breaks loose again with Maxi, uh, then maybe, yeah, you, you got to look at the way you've kind of got it set up. Yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of changes to the whole complexion of everything if Precious is starting in place of Scotty, right? Because uh, yeah. I figure Precious gets that Embiid assignment. He's probably switching pretty liberally onto Harden in that situation. Um, and, and again, I don't know how that changes who you want on Harden as the primary in those spots. Maybe it's still OG and you want OG to switch on to Embiid. Um, I, I guess the other sort of thing to add to this is, and sort of is part and parcel to it, is I kind of would prefer Siakam to be a little bit more part of the action I guess so he was just kind of guarding Harris last night and helping off of him. And as much as Siakam's a great guy who just fly out to the rim or fly out to the three point line and, you know, contest those shots and sort of he can do the help and recover thing better than pretty much anyone else on the team. He's been so damn good sort of in the middle of the action, mucking things up with his arms and his rim protection and just sort of his general presence and positioning and defensive awareness. I wouldn't mind him being a little bit more central to the to the action. Yes, you run the risk of him picking up cheap fouls on you know James Harden or whatever, but um, I, I kind of like the idea. If you move OG over, that invites the possibility to stick 
you know, Siakam more centrally in the middle of the thing. And you can throw Trent on Harris or something like that, or Trent on Green. I don't mind Fred chasing Green around or whatever, too. Like, it just feels to me like there's a few different alterations you could make to make it a little bit more of a sort of um, conducive setup to the Raptors doing what they want to do in the half court and, and sort of executing their scheme. But it's no easy answers, man. <laughs> Joel Embiid's enormous and is a problem and is uh, is terrifying, even if the foul grift on the part of the Sixers is very real as well. I, I By the way, that, that's not why the Raptors lost this game. Yes, there were some bad foul calls, uh, just blanket statement. They did not lose this game because of the refs. They lost this game because their defense was uh, truly miserable for the entirety of the game. The fouls didn't help, but at some point you have to accept that a seven foot three dude is probably going to pick up some fouls against a team that's just kind of clawing up at him six inches to try to get the ball away. Um, so whatever. <laughs> and be sure, maybe he's a bit of a reckless player, clumsy player. I, I'm not going to hear anything about, oh, he intentionally hurt Scotty. That's insane to me. It was a basketball play. I don't know why that was a thing last night either, but regardless, I don't need to wade into those waters right now. Um, optimism let's get happy let's get uh eager and think about things from game one that make us feel good and warm and fuzzy inside things that could translate into game two um you know start anywhere you want maybe it's just you look at the third quarter where they pulled it back to 11 and started playing actual raptors basketball maybe you got to bottle that or is there something that gives you some optimism going forward from game one to close out the show on a high note yeah i thought pascal was pretty good um yep. so uh, i think you you know if you have him uh leading the charge right from the get-go um og i thought had a poor first five to six minutes and then Mm -hmm. gradually uh caught his rhythm and looked good i thought those were important uh minutes towards the end there uh in that fourth quarter where he could just get some reps um you know fred knocking down the three yeah that was important um, better than 50 percent from both two and three last night not something i would have expected in this matchup yeah uh and so you know if he can just step up the defense uh then you're feeling pretty good about fred and then you know precious uh, as well you know going from the first half he had to the second half i i, I yeah. thought uh he was much better especially that third quarter uh gave the raptors some really good moments, uh, you know, those flashes that he has, you know, he's blocking Harden, he's blocking Embiid, uh, he's driving by Embiid for an N one dunk. Um, so it, those are the things that you want to bottle up. And then, yeah, of course, Gary just has to be better. Yeah, Gary's got to be better. Boucher's got to be better, too. I think that's kind yeah. of the, the slept on one here. You can't foul out in 15 minutes, man. Like it's just, yeah. you can't do it, especially when you are one of the guys most physically equipped to execute the Raptors defensive scheme. And you're one of the best offensive rebounders on the team. Like he's really, really important to the way the Raptors are going, like the avenue to winning this series for the Raptors. And if he's going to play like he did last night, that is uh, really kind of cutting out a lot of the things that get you to where you want to go. If you're the Raptors, Um, I I do think the point of, sorry, go ahead. And I was going to say, I'd, I'd argue three of those calls were bogus. There was one where he was sure. vertically contest, contesting Embiid. There was one where Milton had the kick out. You can't reward uh, Milton for that. And then yeah. even even the one where uh, Milton just like ran right into him uh, with the Raptors in transition. Sure. Like that, that was just a soft call. So that, that part of it was tough. But I mean, he had enough defensive miscues to where it's like you just expect yeah. better from him. Yeah. And, and like, I don't think... 
you know, obviously, I, I guess the thing about this series is it is kind of a test case for this whole concept that they're building a team around, right? And I don't think they're going to know fully, like, what the grand vision is going forward after one series or anything like that. It's a small sample. Things happen. But, um, you know, I, I guess one of the sort of mysteries is, is this new version of Chris Boucher that we saw in the regular season something that can translate to playoff basketball? And as much as he was bad yesterday, I kind of think what he does should translate pretty well right like he plays good defense and he offensive rebounds like and he'll knock down the odd three there's no reason that shouldn't carry over so I don't think his game one performance is some sort of proof that the new Chris Boucher is actually still just a regular season ass player like I think there is plenty to hope for in terms of improvements from him in the next game and yeah I mean the Raptors might be down to like six guys you can trust perhaps but uh it you know I think they do have sort of the the system and the sort of concepts in place to still give the Sixers plenty of trouble in this series Uh, I guess lastly here if Thad and Scotty are both out do you see anybody from the deep bench getting a, a look here um malachi flynn maybe for a little extra ball handling i don't know like it doesn't really fit into the defensive side of things but who do you have in terms of you know the the next set of guys maybe it's just kem birch sliding in as the seventh man and then they go with seven uh you know classic nick nurse style but anyone sort of beyond the regular trusted core who you think might get some run here um you know if you're looking for a bit more of that offensive rebounding punch, a bit more of that uh, ball handling, I would not be surprised if you see Delano Banton in yeah. the mix. Um, I think he could squeeze in there, uh, depending on what the Raptors are looking at. Uh, but, um, you know, if there's some spacing that's needed, potentially Utah, those those are maybe the two guys uh, sure. that I would earmark. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty tough uh, sledding for a team that really, as Nick Nurse said after the game last night, I thought it was a really telling quote. Is like, we're not a team that can not have everyone kind of not firing on all cylinders, right? Like, we're the kind of team that needs everybody kind of at least having an average game. That's what he said, I guess, to um, the guys after the game. Is like, we just, you don't need to be great, just be average. And they had too many guys who were below average that said the guys who were average or better uh all the guys who are the most important parts of the team going forward which i think should also sort of like big picture soothing uh the guys who matter most look pretty damn good and that i think portends good things both for this series and beyond uh with that we will leave you there went a little bit long but there's a lot to dig into from game one as there always is after a game one Big V, thanks so much for hanging out, man. It was great picking your brain on this game. And of course, uh, you know, you're doing lots of great work covering the team over at Raptors.com. Where can people check out all your work in addition to Raptors.com? Because you got a million things going on, dude. <laughs> um, no, besides that, it's just CBC Sports right now. Um, keeping busy with that. So uh yeah, you can follow whatever I'm doing on Twitter as well at Vivekm Jacob. Uh I'll probably post uh a bit of a video breakdown of all the first quarter miscues that uh, that I saw. Um, <laughs> and really, that's it. Like, I don't think we need to think too big picture here. Just zone in on Monday, game two, mm-hmm. first quarter, set the tone, and then just play it out from there. Yeah. And even if the Raptors lose game two, uh, they're going back to Toronto with no Matisse Thibel in tow. He wasn't like a huge impact guy last night, but like, a lot of series left here I, I i do think things get pretty tricky if you don't have Thad or barnes for the rest of the series for example but 
Uh, we don't know what their status is just yet. So we'll wait and see and hold our breath on that one and uh, hope the Raptors can make some adjustments and, uh, you know, put Doc Rivers on his heels. I, I got to give credit to Doc, man. He coached the shit out of the Sixers all week to forget game one, uh, you know, at, at the risk of gassing up a guy who loves, loves, loves to cough up huge leads in series. Uh, he did a really good job, I think, getting the Sixers ready for this one. Uh, it's okay to tip your cap when a team plays well as well, in addition to trying to find where things went wrong. And the Sixers play just about as well as you can expect. We will wrap it there. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. We'll be back again on Tuesday after Game 2 to break it all down for you. And, of course, we'll have the series covered in depth all week long and hopefully for a couple weeks long. And uh, thank you, as always, for tuning in and making us your first listen of the day. Go make your second listen of the day. Locked on NBA. They're covering, of course, all of the playoff action. There's so many games, and they are breaking them all down wonderfully over on the Locked on NBA YouTube channel and on the podcast app. So go check that out. And we will talk to you again on Tuesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.